Hi, I'm James Crichton, and this is Actors on Process. Today is Monday, September 21st, and my guest today is Patrice Johnson Siobhan. Patrice is no stranger to the New York stage. Just this past season, she starred in the world premiere of Stephen Adley Gurge's Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven for the Atlantic Theatre Company, and in Run Boy Run and In Old Age at the New York Theatre Workshop, which garnered her nominations for both a 2020 Drama Desk Award and a Drama League Award. We chatted together via Zoom back in May, two months into the Broadway shutdown, and re-listening and preparing for today's episode, I was reminded of the depth of her presence and how you can't look away from Patrice, even over a computer screen. The range of her emotions, her vulnerability, her kindness, and her generous spirit of sharing and educating make today's episode invaluable and not to be missed. The most fascinating part of our interview comes when Patrice speaks at length about locating her two most recent characters in both Halfway Bitches and Run Boy Run and In Old Age. Please subscribe to Actors on Process wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave me a review via Apple Podcasts and follow me on Instagram at Actors on Process if you like what you hear and are interested in more. With all that being said, please enjoy today's episode with Patrice Johnson Siobhan. I love that question. Um, I grew up in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, and I was, um, I'm from a large family. Well, as you, you know, Americans would say eight kids, that's kind of big. Some people would say that's halfway, (laughs) but um, I'm from a large family and I grew up without shoes, not because I was poor, but because I could just run around in grass and just walk everywhere without shoes. Um, I climbed mango trees. I ate mangoes, oranges, banana. I mean, I I think I was in Eden. (laughs) And um, uh, so I grew up in Jamaica with, with, with with parents who really really focused on education even though um you know i'll say i was in shangri-la but education my you get beat if you didn't get you know good grades etc my my father was a beater my mother was the one who sat with you and made sure you you know were on top of it and then we moved to this country um and uh my father was supposed to come, but actually my father wasn't supposed to come. I now know that. He sent, he never wanted to move to this country at all. And um, 
um, we all got our visas and my mom, my mom came here. She was a registered nurse in Jamaica. And um, we came to stay with my grandmother. My grandmother um, uh, at that point was like a nurse's aide, you know, stay in home. A lot of the people who are taking care of elderly right now. And we stayed in her, uh, in the projects. We grew up in Frederick Douglass projects, uh, 103rd between Broadway, uh, Amsterdam and Columbus. And, um, we grew up in the projects. It was a shock <laughs> coming from the largesse and the green and all that of where I came from to nothing but bricks. And, and, uh, I mean, my family ended up finding central park all the time because it was this green place in the midst of all this concrete. Um, uh, we went to school in the Bronx because my father had promised my mom that he, he would send money to buy her house because my aunt lived in the Bronx. So we used my aunt's address, <laughs> went to school there and commuted from Manhattan all the way up uh, in the Bronx for high school, for, for, for school. And, um, you know, it, it was crazy because at, at that point we didn't, I didn't realize my father was not, money was not going to come, blah, 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 blah. So my mother essentially was a single mom in the United States raising nine kids essentially, because one of my father's children, she adopted and on uh, and she i i my mother is my hero so um we'll get to her as i link into the characters that i play because she in, informs me um and so we uh, my mother would she would have to study for the exam in this country to become an rn because Jamaica is under the British system, right? She failed it twice. She failed it twice. She would work all day in the day. No, all day in the, no, wait a minute. My mom worked in the night so that she could be with us. In, yeah, no, wait a minute. I'm screwing it up. <laughs> My mother did double duty. That's mm -hmm. all I want to say is that she made sure we did our homework. We had to do our homework. Why? Because a lot of Caribbean people feel education will take you through the world. And if she doesn't have money to get you all your dreams, you are going to have to um, prove yourself in this academic system to get there. So that's really how I grew up in a family of, of achievers that were gonna be in this country and make good of themselves in lawyer doctor engineer you know that i think those are the only three <laughs> yeah be anything else yeah. you know those are the that, that was it and um my mother although she loved nursing she told us that was the only career advice she said i do not want you to become a nurse because it's, it, we work too hard. We work really hard. And so all of us just went, no nurse. 
and that was it. So, I mean, do you recall when, when theater began to interest you or? You know, um, it's interesting because I think I, we did not get a chance to watch a lot of um, um, television and, and, and stuff. A lot of stuff was curtailed for us. But I always had a fantasy as a little girl. It's just Hollywood and everything that came along with it. And just I just enjoyed that. I, I had the kind of brain that I could remember Sesame Street. I, could re I just could remember that kind of audio visual brain. Um, and I didn't know it was a thing, you know? <laughs> and when theater, which is a different um, animal, um, came into my view was in my uh, 12th grade, uh, my senior year, and I had been a very academic-driven student, and I managed to have a bit of a pocket for some kind of, to be able to take a class that was elective. And there was, they started some kind of drama situation at my school and I had time and here it is. It's, and they, they were working on Raisin in the Sun. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And we we're all kids. Um, and I did Mama. <laughs> never forget it. And so people started going, she, you were good. You were really good at that. And my, my peers and, you know, the little drama situation. But so what? Senior year, I'm headed to Cornell. <laughs> yes. Do you understand? So that was, that was the only thing. That was the first thing. Drama club or drama whatever. Racing in the sun. Mama. Something happened that was explosive. Wow never to happen again in my mind because I'm on my way right. to Cornell. Right, this is what I have to do. Of course, the, the, there was no, I didn't have any actors in my family. I didn't have any performers. I didn't have anybody like that. I have super duper driven people, done. Yeah, wow. So you ended up at Cornell. I ended and up at Cornell because, uh, not just, see, I, I, I now know that it was a feat. Oh my gosh, <laughs> but, yes. I, Cornell was the place that had aerospace engineering. Uh, you, you could do mechanical and then segue into it going further. So that, my major was aerospace, but my sister went to Cornell and uh, I applied, you know, for that school. Then in that pre-freshman weekend, you know, to come visit the place, I went to, for the visit. And when I went for the visit, I fell in love with this amazing campus. And, um, but I also chose, the colleges that I chose to apply for were ones that also had some kind of theater. So even though my focus was one thing, I was kind of going, mm, eh, let's, you know. <laughs> so when I got to Cornell, I asked, I was just like, where do they have a theater? And it was in some building. And then I just, you know, you ask all the questions that you want because they want to see, are you interested here, right? So they said if I was interested in doing any of the theater programs, um, I wouldn't be able to choose it 
if I um, came there in the fall because all the classes would be, you know, taken up. So I'd have to decide and then let them know ahead of time that I was interested and they would, you know, make a way. Well, that's what I did. So I start on the engineering track with a class of acting or whatever. I didn't even know what it was um, on the side. So I, it didn't take me a while to get to the acting. Do you understand what I mean? So I was immediately on uh, uh, the track that was actually going to, you know, be the track yeah. of my life. And um, I don't really think I learned anything in that class. Except, <laughs> except that um, these people who were the artists, these people, because I just grooved with engineering math people, but these people who were the artists sat on the ground, their legs were out, they were in casual things, and it was a whole different physical body, right? Um, I, 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 this is crazy, and I still remember it. Going into the bathroom, you know, of the theater, whatever the building that they had theater, and um, I'm from a conservative background, very conservative. And I just see this chick disrobe completely. I'm <laughs> just like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> oh my God, she's naked. Oh my God, that girl don't even know me. <laughs> I thought, oh, what happened? And I mean, to the now, Patrice, how many years later? That's me, right? right? You have to like, so I, I just like, woo, these people are different. Oh, okay. I just, it was a different head space, a different body space, a different way they sat on the ground. I feel like Richard the Second <laughs> sitting on the ground, you know? Um, again, I don't remember anything in that class. Yeah. Except that it was yin and yang to what I was doing. And so because of that class, I ended up, when I was at Cornell, I ended up laying on the grass, doing all that relaxation. I guess that's what I learned in that class, all that relaxation. <laughs> That's what I ended up doing. And all my um, my friends who were engineering majors, they thought I was, they loved me. They didn't think I was crazy. They just were like, well, Patrice is different. You know, she's out here on the grass. Um, <laughs> and they are in class going up, blah, 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 blah. And my sister, my sister was pre-med there. And so my sister really was concerned for me. She was really concerned. <laughs> and I, a lot of her friends were my friend and a lot of her friends were engineering majors who did not seem happy with their life at Cornell. They, they were, uh, it's expensive to go to college. And I, I could see them just not happy. I, the, the people over there in the theater were happy people. <laughs> These people were just feeling like they were obligated to do engineering and they were obligated because of their parents and obligated and, and that they were going to 
it just was like, mm, they were gonna graduate, but they were not happy. Lots of mumblings and grumblings. I took that in and it informed me in that I just thought, well, I don't wanna do that. If, and the more I studied, the more that, you know, that gap came in there and I then thought, this is not fueling me. And I don't wanna be like my sister's friends. You know what I'm saying? That was, yeah. that was Cornell for me. I was a, a square in a circle or whatever you call that. It's just, I was, I knew um, that this thing in this one class that I was doing was disrupting my, 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 it, it was a, this, it's more than my mind. It was my being. It was my energy, my whole sense of w the way I connected with the world. Wow. And so where did you then begin to develop what you consider your training or, or technique? So, so, so I then, um, I took some time off because like I said, my mother, I have a large family and I was very clear how expensive college was. And if I knew that I was, I didn't want to rack up all that money and not be happy. I was a young kid. I started really early, but I understood that, you know? And so um, I took some time off and I started working. And I thought before I go back to this engineering thing, I need to make sure that it is what I wanted to do. So I took two and a half years. I worked, I worked in retail, uh, men's clothing store. I worked, I just did stuff. And uh, um, then I got fired. <laughs> I, got, I got fired from a job I don't even like. Oh my God. And um, uh. out of the blue, a friend of mine called me from high school. I consider this God. I really do. Because my sister, like I said, she was concerned for me. She'd been praying for me. God help a tree. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and this uh, schoolmate called me out of the blue. And... She says, Patrice, how are you doing? And she calls me with the energy of that class that I took with the Raisin in the Sun. Oh my God. And she starts bigging me up. You know, you say in Jamaica, big, 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 big up, big up. She starts telling me how I was one of the smartest people. Uh, I was one of the talented, I was this. And I'm listening to her kind of go, really oh that that was me that was you know and she's telling me about how when i did a raisin in the sun and i blah, 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 and i thought okay i don't want to do i don't want to go back to cornell and i want to do this acting thing and i i actually had to get the courage to tell my grandmother she was the matriarch of our family I had to get the courage to tell my mother. My mother was okay with it because she knew I had tried at least, you know? And, and then I had to go to Jamaica to tell my father. And so 
I went to tell my father. And so my father, I thought he'd be angry. He said, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. That's what he said. If you're going to shine shoes, you shine to the best of your ability. Never, it stayed with me. My grandmother said, do what you love, baby. Do what you love. And my mother, so the, the people of my family, you would say the elders, were okay, and that freed me. Mm-hmm. Then I started looking around for uh, a program, actually. I have such a greenhorn, but... Um, I, I looked into, because I was looking at finances, I looked into, there was a great program at City College that was a, gave a BFA in acting. I auditioned for it. I had no prep. I just did something. Went up in there and said something. <laughs> and, they said, <laughs> and they said, um, you're it. And by that time, by... They, these folks had been at NYU, Omar Shapley, Rhea Gaysner. They were, they were, they had been adjuncts there in whatever that brain incubator of, of the NYU grad, grad program was. And so here they were pouring this into us. And I was so focused by this time. This is it. I knew I focused. I sucked everything out of those people so now here i was one of these people on the ground in sweats (laughs) here i was um in body movement which was kind of a um uh grotowski kind of um experience for for me we did a lot of theater games a lot of um uh uh speech articulation voice kristen linklater's uh, Linklater changed my life, life, period. And I actually got an opportunity to be a part of her company, which she further changed my life. Um, I love Kristen. Uh, just voice opens, opens, opens. Voice for me in college was the tool. That's it. The it life changer. What allowed me to soar yes voice the voice the voice that's it Kristen changed my life and it's interesting because I had I had auditioned like I'm I I'm not from NYU or any of these I had literally had no idea what those places were I was so focused on what I was sucking into myself and um I remember auditioning uh, you know, uh, open call or whatever. Um, and I did my Queen Margaret, Henry, Henry the <laughs> off with his head, you know, that one. And um, I was a, a tiny little kid. I should have been like gravitating to ingenue type things. But this year I was doing Margaret. And um, I did it for Jordan, Jordan Thaler at The Public. And Jordan asked me if I could sing, if I could dance. And I lied because people had said, fake it till you make it. So I said, yeah, I can do all that. And Jordan called me back for uh, 
oh my God, something that they were doing in the park with singing and dancing. I had to call <laughs> back and I go in a room and I see people in tiny groups. <laughs> and I see people doing stretching and moving. And I said, oh my God, oh my God. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, there was only one other black person in the room and it was the choreographer. And they put me in a group of six and gave me some moves. I didn't even know what step ball change was. That's how green I was. It was humiliating. It was a fiasco. It was, it was a game changer because now I tell people do not lie. <laughs> do not lie. Do not. Mm -hmm. I, I say that. Anyway, the next play in the park, I went up to work with Kristen Linklater and, and she was starting something called the Company of Women. And I go up there and all these women did was take apart Shakespeare and, and open the voice and open the body and drop the, each word in. That was, that process for me, game changer. Um, don't assume you know what a turn on a word is that really you become like a doctor with each word. Take your time in that beginning process. And um, Jordan calls me out of the blue saying somebody dropped. Ah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Don't assume you know, right? And Jordan calls me saying somebody drops out of uh, all's well that ends well. All's well. And um, I have a callback with Richard Jones. And I had been, I consider it lifting muscles of all kinds with Shakespeare, uh, with Kristen. I came back and I did Queen Margaret for Richard Jones. And then I get another callback. And then when I'm, you know, it's me and some other girl, I could hear her in the room. And I'm going, I can do better than that. <laughs> That's really in my head. And I, because I hadn't been exercised in auditioning. I really, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have anything. I was just, you know, fearless. City College, what they said, what Omar said was, he is making subversives. You get in there and you make your way. Mm. Make your way. You get in there, you bet good as all, everybody else. You know, and so with that, I just went in, Queen Margaret. And then I, I booked Diana, Diana. And it was beautiful. It was as we're at table and, and meeting all these wonderful people and everybody's saying where they're from. And everybody's going NYU, Yale and all this stuff. And I say, City College. And somebody says to me, how did you get in? <laughs> And I had, I said, I auditioned. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Oh, I do. Um, yeah. So how did you get in? Mm. I auditioned. But I didn't realize that there were these connections of places, you know? I had the best time. Uh, I, this was now, um, my, this was awesome because... I remember when we got to the park, we got to the park and I started to freak out. 
just complete all i could think of was all the chairs and all the things out there i mean i just i could not keep my sense inside myself and i don't remember this lady's name but she's the oldest one of the elders in the cast and she, she grabbed me and she said you do what you rehearsed you do what you rehearsed and you don't wait to feel you do <laughs> what you rehearsed and diana comes running in with boundless energy and blah 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 the way richard had it and that's all i can remember her saying you do what you rehearsed and then it'll all come back and she was absolutely right and all richard jones said to me was louder faster <laughs> faster louder faster louder faster even when you have a microphone because we need to know everything's got to be conveyed conveyed right at the pitch and the intensity don't go i've got a microphone so i pull everything back no we get everything everything that you've you know playing through your instrument at the level that it needs to be so mm -hmm. diana changed my life richard jones changed my life christian linklater changed my life um yeah wow wow oh my early God. early days yeah I, I mean so exciting to just sit back and, and and hear about this i mean i fantasize about the park um i want to i want to move backwards now just sort of through your resume but before i do that I, I had read that you had uh, had sort of quote unquote left acting for several years yeah. to teach. Yeah. And, um, I'm wondering if you could talk about what those years outside of the rehearsal room on the other side of the table have informed in your work as you've returned and what you gained through that. So I'll, I, I was in, I was in Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles and, um, and during that time, I, I started writing. I started, um, yeah, I started writing and really kind of started fantasizing about creating my own work as a filmmaker um, in that way. And um, so I'd come back and forth um, and I'd always be working. I was always working in New York. I consider that a true blessing, um, doing a lot of theater. And uh, I was working on my third film, my, my third film, and my third indie film, uh, financed with my money and my family's money. We have a company called God and Aloe. Aloe means all of us. Uh, Aloe is Jamaican, all of us. And, um, and there was some kind of uh, strike or something going on in Los Angeles and I had some time. So I went to visit my sister's, my sister's kids went to a school in Jersey and she invited me to something, some concert that the kids are having and I thought I'd shoot myself. <laughs> I couldn't hear anybody. It was just, people were on stage and I can't hear you. Nothing, nothing. It's just like, 
what is going on? And everybody's clapping. And I don't have children at the time. So I don't have any reason to go, oh, that was great. I can't hear you. And so, <laughs> so I, with the time I had, I thought, I wonder if they could, you know, use my help. So it's a private school. Uh, primary prep and the principal said I I've dreamed about having you know a kind of program that has the arts here at this school I, I I needed you like five years ago so I have time and I started to volunteer and I immediately bring in the classics I bring in Shakespeare I bring in a, I, I'm not trained as a teacher I'm an artist so I'm literally giving them link later I'm giving them you know, I'm giving these eighth graders, um, uh, everything I know that, you know, that I know will change their lives. I also, there was one kid who, you know, a lot of urban communities, um, kids say ax, I, uh, I ax you. And if there's anything that, I think the core of me as a teacher is if, if there's any child that I can help to figure out how to just adjust the articulation and get ask as opposed to ax. My God, I've been, I'm a winner. <laughs> so this becomes my thing, you know? And then there was a kid there, a very diverse school. Jersey City is very diverse. There was a kid there from Africa with a French, French speaking, you know, African country. And he just would recede recede. And so I spent some time understanding. So what I started doing was I would, um, I, I pick something, I would say something to the children in my Caribbean accent. And then, you know, they hear me sounding like this and they go, wow, Miss Patrice, so that they could see that I do understand uh, you know, that you're from someplace else. But what I want you to do is to be able to, to adjust here, uh, this part of your, your speaking, adjust here. I don't want you to become something you're not, which is what I was taught. I don't want you to become something you're not. I want you to have your speak at home, but know how you dial it up in an interview with, you know, anything formal, blah, 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 blah. This actually made them feel and understand that I wasn't judging them. I would give them assignments. It made me a better director. It made me a better writer. I would write for them. I'd edit for them. I would, I mean, it just, I ended up falling in love so much with helping kids be better, the best part of themselves. And, um, being able to stand up and be present, take up room. That yeah, I spent about five years um, teaching until Infinito Dofia dragged me back in. Now that's really I I, I my agency uh, said the literary part. She used to be with Abrams. They said, um, would you? Um, read, be a part of a reading that one of our clients was doing. And um, I said, sure. And because I had been away in Los Angeles and teaching and I hadn't been so much acting, 
I actually didn't know the new writers. I didn't know a lot of the new actors. I didn't know a lot of, they didn't know me either. And so um, I sit at Abrams and I read. That's the first time I was connected to Abasiyama. And, um, and then they go, who is she? <laughs> Why don't we know her? Where have you been? <laughs> Would you come read? read something else for me. So Enfaniso, that was the beginning of her um, being the world and, and all these uh, places falling in love with her. And so she was doing reading. So she'd call me and just, so as I'm teaching, I would then make some time to go read. Who, who knew that, you know, this would happen ultimately. But that's when I first met Enfaniso. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, well, I mean, let's move backwards, sort of from your most recent um, okay. job, uh, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe is Halfway Bitches Go Straight. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. And um, I would love for you to talk about your audition for this play. Interesting. It's so crazy because, so the audition for this was really fascinating. I was working on Run, Boy, Run in old age. And we were in our final week of, of um, that production. And I was exhausted. I was exhausted. We were, so, you know, when you have a five show weekend, um, normally a five show is Friday, then Saturday. And, you know, well, I'm in, Run Boy Run is, and in LH two plays. So for me, I'm in, what is it? One, nine shows, right? Like uh, that, but we didn't have a Sunday evening show, but that's still a lot. I'm exhausted. And then they had put a student matinee on the Wednesday. So I just done two. And, and then I, uh, I get the audition um, to, try to prep for it but I had been so busy with Run Boy Run and I just I read Stevens the first thing I'd read of Stephen Adley Gerges I had not read any of his plays before and I go oh this is written really good <laughs> <laughs> let, let me go in for this labyrinth you know um so uh I I had seen Between Riverside and Crazy um twice and I just thought that was brilliant so I said let me let me try to do what I can and come in the afternoon on the Thursday for the audition and then I'm doing two plays that night and I was really tired and I ended up being late because my train from Canarsie they were waiting for me and by the time I, I was the last person they were seeing, I think they were seeing a handful of uh, black actresses because Quincy Tyler uh, Bernstein had just, yeah. And so I come in there and I'm, I, when I audition, I truly like to be more familiar with the material. I don't like to be so glued to the page, but I was pretty, I was kind of glued to the page and doing what I do, but glued to the page. And I meet the beautiful, 
John Ortiz. I'd never met John before in my life. I'd never heard of him before in my life, but his energy, beautiful. Neil Pepe, I'd worked with on Homecoming Queens. Neil was there, and I think two readers, and Stephen, who was sitting and one foot up on a chair. <laughs> and uh, no smiles or anything, just, you know, Stephen. And uh, so I, I do whatever, and then John, I, I think I read for um, the social worker which was the part, Quincy, the, the head, the woman running this thing. And uh, so John then says, he, him and Stephen talk, uh, and he says, well, she's, she's, Stephen says she's the best one. Um, and then they kind of do a power, and then they go, um, if, if it's another part, would you, would you consider doing another part? And I'm just like, if I'm the best one, why would I consider doing another part? <laughs> I'm not, that's not making any sense to me. <laughs> so um, John, you know, begins to say, there's another part. There's um, if, if, and they're doing this hypothesis thing. And I think because I was so inside myself, so Patrice, so Frank, you know, sometimes as an actor, you edit, you edit, you know, sometimes when you want a thing. I was just, my inside voice was out. And I was just like, so I don't understand that. <laughs> and then Stephen says, well, of course, you, you would have to read something in order to, you know, consider coming on board. If I send you something, would you... I'd like to make my case. And um, uh, I go, Stephen then writes me the most beautiful email about how just my coming into the room uh, ignited some something for him in the writing of a character that he always wanted to be in halfway bitches but thought that would not be in in this until i walked into the room and that his heart open and his mind open and clickety clack and 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 it was the most compelling and beautiful uh email and uh then he says i'd like to make my case my case and how many times has someone who is brilliant, Stephen, come at you in this way that I'd like to make my case for why you should join us and why you should consider this part? And, um, and he makes a case. And then uh, uh, and he writes to me again and he says, um, oh, 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 I have to say I'm in the, in the audition and I was tired really, really tired. And I said out loud, I said, there is no way I can start. I can finish Run Boy Run in an old age Sunday and start Halfway Bitches on Tuesday. I need a vacation. And they were like, okay. <laughs> I just thought, what? <laughs> um, I, I, they said, where would you go? I said, well, my brother's in Jamaica right now. I, I wanna go to Jamaica. So when Stephen writes me, he says, look, the part that I want you for is not written. 
So then he begins to make a case. Take your vacation. Please rest yourself. I will write for you. <laughs> then he describes uh, James Baldwin, Josephine Baker, a uh, grand type diva artist who has lost her way and has um, uh, this uh, alcohol uh, dependence and has the courage, he says, that she wants to die on her own terms. And uh, hey, that was extremely compelling to me. Um, they said, it, 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 literally he was making his case and Neil came on board to, to say, everybody, this is, you know, he describes it's 18 people, all that kind of beautiful stuff. And then I say yes, and then I go on vacation. <laughs> and, but before I go on vacation, they ask me if I could come into the room with the ensemble, um, read with them. Stephen had sketched out um, a scene and he wanted to hear me and see me because he didn't know me. Everyone in the labyrinth, all the people in Halfway Bitches are friends and colleagues of Stevens. I, he had never met me before and I, you know, so now he has to write for me. I thought it was so amazing. So they record me in the one rehearsal I come in and I'm telling you, I never saw Steven again till opening night. I never saw Steven again till opening night. Oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. Stephen wrote and channeled this amazing <laughs> brilliance. John interpreted, guided me on this path. I never saw Stephen again till opening night. Oh my gosh. Wow. I, I'm, well, with that, I'm like flabbergasted right now, but I'm. I'm wondering if you would share I, a piece of I would. Let me, let play. me share. So, so, like I said, he describes this woman. And um, so for me, my process with her was uh, thinking of all these types of people who are like Eartha Kitt. I, then I started doing my own kind of research into these grand people who travel the world and all that. And um, whether it's that time frame or in my, my thinking, like even um, Tina Turner, um, uh, all these grand people who begin to travel, their accents start changing. <laughs> If they've lived in France for any kind of while, if they, you know, they, the, the, look, look, look at Madonna. I mean, you just, that you live somewhere else in this grand kind of thing. You then begin to have an accent of the world. But uh, what I will say is um, she is also from Harlem. She is also very much from Harlem. And at first when, um, when I was studying the lines and there were sometimes something was kind of uh, grammatically not. So I thought not knowing Stephen, I didn't know. I thought, I thought it was a typo. I thought, Oh, the S is gone or blah, blah, blah. Not realizing once I kept rehearsing and 
trying to find the layers of Wanda wheels that, oh, that is her duality. Oh, this, she is very much Harlem and she is this grandness, but she is very much mm. um, a woman round, round away. <laughs> so um, it made it layered and beautifully complicated. And it was the, the linchpin for me. It was how I found her ultimately was that it wasn't all up there. It had, she was down here from up in Harlem. And uh, that was it. Like, you know, Eartha Kitt, Tina Turner from Nutbush, Nutbush, Tennessee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Eartha Kitt from the South. But when you hear them, you, you hear this, this grandness, right. you know? Um, uh, Cecily Tyson, she from the, the Caribbean. Her, her Caribbean, but you hear this thing. So there is, that's what I then honed mm. in on. So, um, so here's a portion of Wanda. And this is a scene where Wanda, Miss Rivera is the head of the social, the, the, the halfway house. And Miss um, um, Rivera, in order to cope with her difficulties, she hides, she's been drinking. Wanda drinks. Wanda is in this halfway house and they are trying to make sure she eats, but she cannot eat. She only, they give her insure and she pours it out and puts alcohol, vodka, all kinds of heavy stuff. So she's pretty much, she can, re, she can see that Miss Rivera <laughs> is, a woman who drinks as well, right? And there is this one moment when they are, uh, Mr. Vera is leaving very, very late and Wanda is up very, very late watching the television by herself. And she's watching a program where she herself is an actress in it way, way back in the day. And there's a man in the pro, in this film that she used to have as a beau. <laughs> And she is by herself reminiscing and all the different layers that go with re regret as well. And so I'm not sure, do you want me to read the scene or do you, a, a portion of the scene or my, just my stuff? I think, Whatever. okay, let me, let me, let me, so, so, uh, Miss, Miss, Miss Rivera reveals that her relationship with her her husband she's having problems with her child and um but at least her husband sends money and i say well at least i i i'll i'll go there because i'll stop because i found that wanda in me had a very um low tone and articulated when she was articulated. Well, at least he's meeting his responsibilities. And Mr. Vera says, last month when she was there, they looked at high schools, private schools. She told me this tonight on the phone, she wants to go live with them. Well, that ain't on the table, right? I don't know, she hates me. She wants to spend more time with you. What time? Look at me, 2 a.m., I'm here with you. I enjoy our time together. 
on the late night witching hour. But this place, it's a refuge, not a destination. This is where you work. Believe me, I did what you do, but I did it in theaters, dance studios, bars, bedrooms, after hours joints, drug dens, motel rooms, and hotel lobbies. The only real destination is home. I never got there. There isn't a woman here who doesn't wish she had a destination. You do. I heard the city offered you a job for more money and less hours. Take it. Shed your refuge. Punch a clock and go home. Home, miss. Home. Click your heels and go. Wow. And that's Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Wow. You're welcome. Everything that you, you know, you spoke about in terms of who that is, I feel all of that radiate through that and your warmth and, and, and all of it too. Just wonderful. I'm so sad that I missed this. Oh, that's okay. It's, it I was, was, yeah. I, I'm mad at myself. I mean, I normally try to see absolutely everything. I, I don't know why this one passed me by, but I'm so glad to have heard it in some capacity. <laughs> <laughs> I fell um, in love with, I fell in love with Wanda. I, um, I fell in the Stephen had a most beautiful, um, cause Stephen was writing the entire time. And, um, one day he, he said, I know Wanda goes, dies, you know, somewhere, but, and he just checked in with me and he said, I wonder, there, there are two things in my head that she dies and people talk about her or um, she actually speaks what she wants. She wants her best friend in the halfway house to help her die. And I said, you know, because he was fighting for lines. The play was really long. And I said, I'm, I'm not fighting for lines, but I will fight for the, the drama of this. And I believe that it is a very difficult thing to ask, articulate to someone that you want them to help you do this very huge thing. And I think that's Wanda should have that fight, that. And Stephen said, that's what I was thinking. And the end of this play, in addition to Liza being Sarge, whew, when the halfway bitch, when the halfway house ends up being disbanded and everybody goes their separate ways and Wanda finally tells um, her best friend, what she needs, that even though she seems all this, that she's extremely depressed and that there's a deep place of just a hole in her. And she has to, then this is what, I need your help. Ah, oh, I mean, honestly, that broke me every night, every night. And 
this play broke me every night. It's so beautiful. And I think it deserves every, every accolade um, that I, you know, when they yeah. nominated for anything, it's, it's brilliant. John, this entire cast. Well, speaking of nominations, I wanted to just congratulate you on your Drama Desk nomination. I was wondering what your dramaturgy brain, how that turns on. Let's say you receive a piece of text and you're, um, you're looking at someone for the first time. So how my, 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 it's this dual process because mm. it's my guts plus here. It's, you know, they say you've got two brains, right? You've got the your gut, your solar plexus, your uh, sense, that other, and then here, the mind, the cerebral part. And I, what's usually way more informative for me is that I know more in my gut, and then my head has got to catch up with everything. And I, I personally try never to start speaking in the voice of whatever the characters until I begin to hear it somewhere deep inside myself. And, uh, you know, like when people say, how did you put this low tone for, you know, halfway bitches is because I began to hear it that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, my, my, on Run Boy Run in old age, it was a sense of um, Abasiyama that was informed by Enfaniso. Uh, Abasiyama is, is based on Enfaniso's mom. And, um, and, uh, and then that involves an accent, not, not Ibo, but Ibibio, which is a different, more musical uh, um, uh, accent. And I had done Ebo, and I, you know, but it, I, so I had to, the, the process of dramaturgy was initially Enfoniso, in this case, just all the visuals, all the story, all the, um, uh, the backstories that, you know, bringing in, but the core of it was that this was the, oh, I had to strip it down to the core. This is a woman who, uh, educated woman, who was dealing with a very uh, a troubled husband, troubled man who had some mental issues, some issues, emotional, all post-traumatic stress. And um, some, in, in this case, there was also an accent, very specific accent. And in this case, there's also a tone, a very specific tone. So I generally speak with a, a lower voice um, in Feniso. Uh, and it turns out that just a lot of Ibibio people, women, it's just a higher singing more kind of a thing. So I have to then put that in it and actually work on that. And, um, and listen for, now I'm from the Caribbean, so, uh, and Fenisa says it's more, there's way more music to it, more like the Caribbean, whereas Ibo, it's much more uh, kind of staccato-like. Still staccato, but music. So now I have to put both of those together. Right. right. Um, uh, 
And so the process for me is really finding a way to the, the clearest articulation of what is ephemeral, ephemeral, is that the word ephemeral in my spirit? There is something in my gut that knows. And it is, it is the process of letting it um, take more room, take more room, take more room. Um, I'm not explaining my process well. No, no. But it truthfully is from the gut. And then when I begin to articulate it, like any actor, you can go, no, that, that move is wrong. That way is wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you begin to know this is the way. Walk ye in it. It's right here. Um, I don't think you're not explaining this well. I think it's actually really beautiful the way you're explaining it. I've found sometimes even when I'm marinating in something, I'm surprised because I won't speak it out loud in a similar way that you're saying, that when it does come out, I'm sort of amazed at the sound that comes out, yes. comes from this intuition. Yes. And then it's real. Then it's real. And, you and then you can back it up no matter what kind of criticism comes. In my, that's once it's real, then you stand by it, right. you it's know? It's supported, it's... Yes, that's it, that's it. And so, uh, particularly in Run Boy Run in old age, from myself, this process was very physical um, because in, you know, did you see the play? Not this one, no. In, in Abasiyama, it was like running a marathon. First of all, there, I was the only actor in Run Boy Run and in old age, so that my night was approximately three and a half hours long. Uh, yeah, and so, I, and I went from Abasiyama younger uh, to then Abasiyama at a undescribable age with trauma, um, where she is now. Uh, she stays in a bad marriage, and now she is being tormented by. The uh, state in a bad, bad marriage that she wanted to leave, said she would leave, but because of her upbringing, culture, I think spiritual beliefs, she stays and she eats this trauma, eats this negativity from this man. And in old age is when she triumphs over it and she. She, she fights the demons, literally. And Phoenicia writes this ramble. <laughs> this old woman becomes this like, you know, fighting machine by the end of the play because she is taking, she is not going to hear all the abuse in her mind, all the, 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 the trauma anymore. Um, and in, in old age is a two-hander with Ron Canada, who Ron Canada, I met Ron Canada at an Othello. Ron was Yago to Patrick Stewart's Othello and my Desdemona. So this is my first time working with Ron again. And um, 
in old age is a drama, but it turns out it was this comedy. Oh my God. Once we found all the levers of it, people laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And <laughs> it was crazy. Meanwhile, I'm playing the straight man and Ron is comedy and it was deep. But the process, that process was, was extremely physical, but in terms of what everything I was doing, but the core of it was finding, I'll tell you, uh, I just thought about something. Yeah. So the BBO accent was very difficult for me to get. And even if I was getting it, I wasn't sure, I wasn't comfortable. And um, so it tripped me up a lot. And uh, Infinisa would say, no, you're in the right direction. And Woye Tempo, who I love, she's the director of In Old Age. Um, Loretta Greco is the director of Run Boy Run. They would go, you're in the right direction. But I didn't feel it all gelling together. And one day, as Infinisa was, she was trying to explain this gentleness of Obasiyama, this elegance of this educated woman with this fine voice that had a, uh, she was tr telling me about tone and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she brings her mom to the rehearsal. And oh my God, I just study this older woman with gray hair and this beautiful smile. And she watches the rehearsal and laughs and laughs, just laughs. And then she comes up to me and she says, you were wonderful, but you need more voice. <laughs> and I said, oh, I, I didn't have enough voice because I was unsure of the accent. She said, you remind me of me, you were wonderful. And I'm telling you, James, it freed me. Uh, there was no turning back after that because I saw in the flesh, this is who Infiniso is talking about and how, what a gift for her to bring her. And she had this beautiful voice, but she told me, she like blessed me. That, that's, that's what that was for me. And then Abasiyama became, because my mom is like Infiniso's mom and my mom had a very tough marriage and so there were things that i felt my mom lending me um in the spirit for this um this woman who had and my mom triumphed so and abbas uh, uh and mom triumphed so it was just this blending that I, I, I felt like when it's all clear in my spirit and the voice and everything is connected, it will do honor to these women, you know? Yeah, I do. That's very, that's very powerful. Her gift to you. Yes. Yes. In unleashing that. And, and, um, like the other play, I, I wonder if you would share a, a piece. I'm gonna, so let me pull up what I what yeah. I thought. Sure. So uh, 
she's now talking again to her children over the phone because for 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 years and years she's just been on the couch waiting to die and uh finally uh she hears her husband calling her a whore uh and the, the trick of this whole thing was there's no text for the husband it's the way the play was was that it was sound and i had to hear it and understand the the language that was coming at me and uh she uh, this this man has been sent by her daughter to to redo her house and put cherry floors there and she finds out in the process that oh my god she's come back to think she i like cherry i like this color you know, and she begins to be awakened by what I like, the person she used to be, what I like. And so she now uh, decides that she wants to have a conversation with this man. And she is, so, so let me, let me start. She says, I don't ask you for much. This is the first thing I have asked for in 25 years. I, I can't deserve something good like this, maybe. And then he bangs at her. Uh, she says, I don't know, but tomorrow my floor could be finished. Then the tiles will be next, then the upstairs, then your basement, the base, my basement. And I will be able to see for myself if I like what I chose. And then he calls her a bunch of names. And she says, I am, I might be, I might be destroying the one anchor I have, but I should have paint in this house. Our house, my house, paint that is not chipped, paint that I choose in the house I have paid for for over 50 years by myself. Yellow, I want yellow walls and a chandelier and a new couch, white. I just, I want it to be white. And I want house plants lilies and pictures of flowers on my walls big 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 flowers and a garden with a tree in it apples i like apples and oh please stop Motre. okay should i come down there let's talk maybe if you see me you'll remember me and remember who you married and Oh, since when? Open for me. Open. So you locked it. I want to talk to you about this noise and that I like this color. No problem. It's just color. And because I want to talk, you bar the door. I'll stop there. She goes on, she goes on, she goes on, and she finally has a reckoning with this man. So he lives, he's, it's the basement was his forte. Oh my God, I started crying. Oh, my the, basement me too. <laughs> his, 
the basement was where he lived. And so she is, she hears the sound from the basement, the husband in the basement, he's not there, he's dead in this play. But now, once she's decided that she's gonna go down there, she, the door is locked. And then the way M. Finisa has written it, she shakes it, shakes it, it's locked, it's locked. And then she sits all night just staring at the door, trying in her strength to go get it. And then she ultimately, the audience is cheered because when she then gets a, a, um, a hammer and smashes the door and pushes in, they had a door that would knock away and push that thing in and Abasiyama goes down there and she begins to drag everything of for, that she's carried for years, his shoes, his books that he levied over her to they say she wasn't smart. She, she, he would never take his shoes off and dirty the floor that she'd worked on. She dragged them out. She drags his out of the house and she drags a, a, a tree stump, Infinisa writes, and I put it on myself and I go up the stairs and throw it out. And by the time she dumps everything. It's almost like she's half dead. She's half, she's expended. Mm. She, she's almost killed a part of herself to be alive. Yeah. An amazing play. My gosh. What an unbelievable year in, in theater. I mean, that you have... And audiences have been fortunate to have seen you, and my gosh. Say that again? I mean, how lucky are people to have seen this extraordinary year for you? I, you know, it was, um, can I read another part? Please. So this is Abasyama younger. When she is, uh, her husband spits in her face, and it's at that point, this spiritual, very quiet woman who's tried to hang in there loses it and says, it comes out, I want a divorce. That's it. And when she asks him for a divorce, it smatters, shatters everything in him because she's held him. And now she's like, it's over. And he then has a nervous breakdown. He finally goes to the basement because to go talk to him he stopped he stopped talking and she's really really concerned and she says i pray every day for quiet and now that you have given it to me i don't know what to do adiaga calls me asking after you once a week and toima and even at least once a week just to see how you are doing. And I always say fine, even though they have lived here, so they know what fine really means. You should know that there are people who care about you. And even after we part, I can still, I care about you, I do. In this moment, I want you to, because I don't know what this one is. 
I've never seen it. I don't want you to sink further down into women who fall for men in the midst of their own problems are blind to demons flying in the air. My mother used to tell me and my sisters that I failed that parable. You used to sit just like that, back straight, put your arm around me and ask me to tell you a story every night. You knew my, my home. You knew the color and make of my daddy's Peugeot and the size and animals of mommy farm. You knew my church. You would sit arms around me drinking my nothing stories like water and I never asked you to tell me anything. I hated it here. I hated the smell of this place and the storytelling made me better. But I failed my mommy's parable disciple and where do you think I should put you? And that's just the complete, that's from the first play. Yes, that's the first play where she tries to engage him. This mm -hmm. is, she try, he has a breakdown. She tries to engage him. This is after he spit in her face. Wow. And then she stays. Mm. And then, like a lot of women, and then she's traumatized. She's traumatized and then she gains her life back in old age. And she ends up finding love with the man who's come to put the cherry floors down. <laughs> wow. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that tonight. I, you, you made me go in search of it and I was really happy to to do it so um you know it's hard to to this this play here run boy run in old age that they nominated me for when i heard you know it's funny because i just started crying i started crying because we had worked so hard on this piece uh and Feniso's blood, sweat, and tears, my blood, sweat, and tears. And every night, um, the audience would just, it was amazing, just stand and whoo, it was amazing to do, to watch Abasiyama's journey on both plays. And um, I never saw anyone after the show because we ended so late. Like I never, hardly saw people um and so i thought that all of that effort would be missed and to see it recognized is um uh, i'm just really happy i i completely understand that and once again i don't know how i missed that but <laughs> okay Jay. I, I, I truly you ask all my friends and you are my friend now too but you ask all my friends I, my playbills that stack i see everything 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 so this is particularly difficult for me now in the how are you from new york i'm from i grew up on long island yeah so long island mm -hmm. but so i'm used to just sort of like especially since i graduated college any theater i'm just i'm there i'm seeing 
whatever I can. So I'm, I'm so sad, but I'm, I'm so grateful that you shared this. I'm, I'm wondering if you could just indulge a final question for me mm-hmm. before we go. And every person that I interview over the last two years answers this at the end. It's become our tradition. And I'm wondering if you could just share a love note to the American theater. And my question is sort of what keeps you coming back and why does it continue to ignite your soul? Hmm. I wish I'd read, I, I wish I, wow, I wish I'd taken that in <laughs> before. Uh, you did send me the question, but, but say that again, say it again, yeah. oh, say it again. What uh, keeps you coming back and why does it continue to ignite your soul? Hmm. I would say what keeps me coming back is characters, dynamic characters in worlds that are layered and complicated um, that don't minimize me as a woman and a woman of color. That, the, um, when, when, when the material reflects the society that I live in and, um, and the diversity and, power and layers of people and people of color. I'm going to go keep saying that again. That, that makes me want to step up to the challenge when it, when it, I, I, the, the, I, I consider it like the drive by culture, the, the, when they kind of look within all of Shakespeare and go, well, which one can we make black or oh, this person or Asian or whatever? That to me is just a bunch of hooey. Um, uh, when the material in the, the production team and the directors, when that is enlarged, enter Patrice, then I'm, I'm here to play and I'm here to, 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 to be challenged, to enter the fight, to fight with you, play with you. The minimum is, I don't, is the word is not minimiz, minimization. It's not, it is the sh- shrinking. I hate it. Uh, I remember, I'm looking at my finger here and I, I broke my finger when I did the crucible with Sir Richard Eyre on Broadway with Liam Neeson. And that was my second time working with Richard. And I said to Richard, I said, if you're gonna do this, look here, I am ready for the fight. I said, uh, Tichuba is an outsider. These folks wanna kill her because they think she is responsible for the sickness 
of their children. This, let's not play with this. Richard said, you, you, you're up for the, I said, yeah, yeah. When they tried to, to hang her, I know, I said, that's a real hanging. <laughs> that's a real. I broke my finger. I kept going. They put on the, the, you know, thing and I kept moving. Okay. That was one of my amazing experience, experiences of my, my theatrical career. When I auditioned for Othello, I actually wasn't going to audition. And an elder said to me, uh, I, uh, interested in, you know, uh, uh, diversifying Shakespeare, op opening Shakespeare. And she said, look, read, read Othello again and read that Desdemona um, defies her father, defies her clan, chooses an other. Look at that. Look at what she does as opposed to, to color. You know what I'm saying? Enter Patrice. Oh, okay. I can do that. I go in there <coughs> and Jude Kelly, an amazing director and Patrick, and I, I'm talking about Sir Patrick Stewart, an amazing, I love Patrick. Um, we decide well, this, let's look at this play. Let's look at it in terms of the women, you know, and sh you've got a, a, a body, uh, you know, you can't be colorblind. You've got to be aware of the people who are on stage, you know? And so we did our exploration and it's interesting because at one point, um, um, uh, when Desdemona kind of, she falls, she gets, you know, Othello says, and she just faints. And I said, I don't faint away. I'm just not a faint away kind of a girl. <laughs> so let's dig into this. And we swam and we looked. And I tell you, we had one of the most revolutionary Othellos there was. And Jude Kelly, who is a survivor of, I think she's a survivor, a rape survivor. She said, this is not a death scene for Desdemona. Desdemona is fighting for her life, her life. So let's not have a pre-moment of, oh, ooh, and she'll just wither away. We are going to fight. Patrick told me, please don't beat me up so much, Patrice. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was fierce. Listen, this is that keeps me coming back. Mm. The fact that we play, I, I'm ready for the fight. I keep saying fight, but I also think it's play. I'm ready for for it, for diving in. Um, uh, uh, people who, you know, don't minimize, don't stereotype, uh, unless you're going to stereotype with a point, a larger point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't stereotype. Uh, one of the, the joys of working on Run Boy Run in Old Age was the largesse of these moments. Uh, uh, Stephen layering um, these women in, in, this, in this place and these men, um, not stereotypically. So both were received in this amazing way.
So, so that's what I say. And that's, that's what I say. That's, that was my experience on Tamburlaine as well with Sir Michael Boyd, one of the greatest uh, directors I've ever worked with, John Douglas Thompson. I mean, that was such a dynamic and diverse Tamburlaine. Who comes to see Tamburlaine? But everybody came to see Tamburlaine. <laughs> <laughs> because it was amazing and it reflected our world yeah and that stunning portrait of you <gasps> and i'll say before we sign off uh, i worked at shakespeare theater in 2016 and there's a gorgeous huge picture of you wow um on the wall when you're going up and down the, the staircase. Wow, wow, wow. I haven't been back there since I worked um, on Othello. In, in fact, um, what, what's the picture? What is it? Which, it's the one of, of you. Am, and I, am I? You're behind him, I think. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. And it's so funny. I'll tell you a quick story. Just a, um, So Patrick, when Patrick met me, Patrick thought I was like 16. He was just like, oh my God, is this going to work? Do I look like I'm robbing the cradle? <laughs> and I was just a thin, young girl, you know? Um, but we were doing the, the flip, the fellow, right? And I kept thinking, how do I, how do I get past all of this hoo-ha around Patrick? Because... I gotta, we gotta mm. work as people. And so one day I went out and I bought all these perfumes, uh, not, not from the store, but like oils from the, you know, the Arab folks who sell the oils. And I came to Patrick and I said, um, do you like any of these? We're still getting to know each other in mm. many ways. And he said, um, no. <laughs> He said, I rather like what's in your hair. And I thought, my hair. Now, I have twists, so I use a lot of oils, a lot of whatever. So I had no idea that my hair smelled of all this, you know, aromatic stuff. And so Patrick then smells my hair. And I go, okay, you rather like what's in my hair. And then um, I... He smells my hair. And then I said, may I do something? And then I kissed the top of his head. And he blushed completely. I said, I'm going to be doing a lot more of that. <laughs> oh I'm going to be doing a lot more of that. And we kept it as we continued to just love and fall in love with each other as, as thespians and actors and just people. We kept all our playfulness, all, we kept that kiss. And all he said was he would come back when he would point to the top of his head and he says, lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> and so if I was gonna keep the kiss, I had to not wear lipstick so that it didn't come on his bald head. <laughs> but so I think that's the picture that's there. It is but that's what came out of that moment. You, you asked about process, you know? Okay. That was, came out of process. Wow, well, you are 
a gift. I have so enjoyed getting to know you thank and speak you, with you today. This has I know. Thank you so much. It's, your, it's, it's lovely. Yes. Well, your artistry is incredible and I can't wait to see what's next. And so I just want to say goodbye and uh, say goodbye to our listeners. Oh, goodbye, listeners. Thank you for hanging. <laughs>